starting a new series today which I've entitled of such is the kingdom of God and the point of this series really to, is to just get a clear biblical understanding of just how children actually fit into the kingdom of God how they um, um, form part of the kingdom of God for there is a bit of confusion in the church as to uh, just what role children play and um, where they actually do fit in to the things of the kingdom of God. And so we want to just go through some biblical truths along that line so we have more clarity and thus we're able to then um, deal, and, well not deal is not the right word, but thus we're able to um, treat children as God intended that we should treat them and, and bring them up as the Lord actually did intend that we should bring them up. And so um, the first scripture we want to open up with is in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 because in order for us to understand uh, just how children actually fit into the, the kingdom of God, uh, we need to understand pretty, uh, basically what the makeup of man is and how man comes to have been created by God. So the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ and so here the apostle paul or the holy spirit through the apostle paul writing to the church speaks about three different parts of man he speaks about the spirit the soul and the body and so it is taught quite extensively in the church there are parts of the body of christ that don't accept that teaching but nevertheless it is biblical that um, man is primarily a tripod being. He is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives inside a physical body. Um, there are other parts to man, the inner man that is, because the Bible does teach us that we have an inner man and an outward man. The outward man being these physical bodies, and the inward man being made up of the spirit and the soul, but each also made up of the will and the conscience. But nevertheless, the point that I wanted to concentrate on for this uh, series of teaching is the fact that man is a spirit being. He does um, have a soul and he lives inside the physical body. So the physical body that we dwell in is in fact just a house. It is not who we really are. It's where we dwell. It's the, the inward man is the real person. That is the person that God has created in the image of God. But let's just have a look at some more scripture along that line. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 Scripture says, For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so, here again, the, the scripture talks about these two parts of the inward man, which is the soul and the spirit. And he talks about the fact that the, the soul and the spirit can, in fact, be separated by the word of God. And it's actually only the word of God that can separate the two. For God has designed the soul and the spirit of man, which is part of the inward man, uh, to function and operate in unison. They cannot operate separate from each other. However, because they can be separated, they are in fact two separate parts of man. And so those are the two parts of the inward man that we wanted to concentrate on for this uh, passage, uh, series of teachings. And then the other scripture we want to look at is in 2 Corinthians 5.1. The scripture says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, 
we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so here the Apostle Paul is referring to his earthly body. He calls it a tent. A tent is a very temporary structure. There's nothing permanent about a tent at all. And so we understand that these physical bodies that we dwell in are temporary structures. Um, and they are our house. He talks about, um, we know that if our earthly house is destroyed. So a house is the place where a person dwells. And that is what we dwell in now. We dwell in these physical bodies that God has given to us. But nevertheless, it is the inward man that is the real person. And the inward man utilizes this tent that God has given to it in order to express itself in the earth. And so we, as the, the real person is the inward man, which is made up primarily of the spirit and the soul. And then when he says that when our earthly tent is destroyed, talking about when these physical bodies die, for all of these physical bodies will expire. They're not designed to live eternally. Um, and we will receive our resurrected bodies. He says, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's interesting that the Lord says that. He says, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about our eternal um, bodies that we will receive from the Lord, our spiritual bodies. The, the kind of body that our Lord Jesus walks around in today. He has a, a spiritual body. And so, the, the inward man gives life to the outward man. The outward man being the physical bodies that we dwell in. And so it is required, it's important for a, uh, a spirit, and I'll just now deal with the spirit because the spirit and the soul are, form part of the inward man. Nevertheless, the spirit is, is the main part of the inward man. And so in order for these physical bodies to have life, to be able to breathe and to be able to function, uh, including the brain, that is. The brain is a, a physical organ that our soul uses in order to express itself through this body that we dwell in. And so in order for our brain and our physical bodies to function and to have life, they need to be residing on the inside of them a spirit. The spirit has to be on the inside in order for the body to, be, to function. Once the spirit leaves the body, the body dies automatically. It has no capacity for life any longer. It is only because the spirit is inside the body that this body can breathe, that this body, that this brain can reason, and we can behave, we can talk, we can act, we can feel, we can do all these things in the earth because the inward man is dwelling on the inside. But the moment that the, the inward man is removed, the body dies straight away. And so there's two things that we need to understand from that concept, that when the, when the spirit of man is removed from the body, the physical body, the body dies. It has no capacity to live. But in order for the body to have capacity to live in the first place, the spirit has to be entered into the body uh, right from the start. And so let's have a look at a scripture which um, just highlights that truth for us. In James chapter 2, verse 26, he says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So there, very clearly, the body needs the spirit to have life. Now, it's not uh, uh, reliant on the condition of the spirit, because but we don't want to deal with the teaching on um, spiritual death and spiritual life, because the Bible does teach us that all unbelievers are spiritually dead, all believers are spiritually alive. And, but both 
have bodies that walk around on the planet and function normally. So it's not the condition of the spirit that dwells within the body that determines whether the body has life. It is purely the fact of the presence of the spirit dwelling within the body that gives the body life. And so when the um, when conception takes place, that is when the spirit enters into the body for the first time. And that imparts life to the, the cells. And so the cells are then only at that point able to divide. The, the cells need um, a spirit to be in there in order for it to impart life to those cells so that they may divide. And thus God then is able to form the physical body that we dwell in as spirits. But nevertheless, it is the spirit of man that gives life to the physical body of man. And that is right from conception until the time that man is taken out of the body at the end of his life. And then the body is returned to dust once again. Another scripture we can look at is in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 6 and 8. Uh, the scripture says, So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home, in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So he's talking about the inward man being at home in this body or being absent, being absent. And so being at home in this body means that we're absent from the Lord. For our Lord dwells in heaven. And so uh, when we're on the earth and we dwell in this body, we are absent from the physical presence of the Lord. Because don't forget our Lord Jesus has a physical body. He has that spiritual body. When he appeared to the disciples, he said, look, handle me, touch me, feel me. A spirit has not flesh and bones such as you see I have. And so our Lord Jesus Christ has a tangible body. And the saints who are in heaven today are in his presence. Um, we, the saints who are on the earth, are absent from his presence. Now, in spirit, we're in, this, in one with the Lord, obviously. But we're talking about physical contact with God. We don't have that physical contact because we are dwelling inside this house. Verse 80 says, We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And so, very clearly, the we he is talking about is the inward man. That is who we really are as born-again believers. Uh, unbelievers also, the inward man is the real person. When they depart from their physical bodies, the Bible teaches us that they go down to hell um, for torment. And that's in Luke 16, uh, verse 22 and 23. I already spoke about that. And so when an unbeliever departs their physical bodies, they go down to hell. When a believer departs their physical bodies, they go to heaven. So in all instances, the body is just the house that we dwell in. That's, that's it. That's it. its purpose. Its purpose is served for us to be able to dwell on this earth. Outside of the body, God doesn't allow the spirit to remain on the earth. He takes the spirit and places it where he uh, has deemed it will go. And so... With regards to our physical bodies, um, God forms the body. Uh, so God doesn't create, well, He does kind of create it, but um, it, it, He doesn't create it out of new material. The physical bodies that we dwell in, all of humankind, um, we dwell in a body that has um, been inherited from our forefathers all the way back up to Adam. And that came out of dust. The body, God formed the, the, the physical body of Adam from dust. So what God did when he created Adam, he will, will leave out of the equation for now, but when God created Adam, he first formed his body, physically. 
That physical body had no life in it at all. It was dead. Not the right word to use, but it was, um, it, it was lifeless. It was just a house. And so when God breathed into that body, the, his breath of life, God imparted the spirit, the soul, the will and the conscience into that body, and man became a living being. And so that, that house could now come to life and function and breathe. And the scripture is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The scripture says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And so now when he says the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, he's talking about his physical body. That's what, that's what God did at that time. Then the scripture says, And breathed into his nostrils the what? The breath of life. And man became a living being. So until such a time as God breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, that house was still lifeless. It had no capacity, no, no ability to function. Uh, it needed the spirit to be imparted. God then breathed into Adam. The, he imparted his spirit into Adam. And Adam became a living being. And um, that is how God forms the body Today, he still forms the body like that today. He doesn't um, create the, body, the physical bodies that we dwell in from any other material except the material that he first used when he formed Adam from the dust of the ground. That's the same material that God uses for the bodies that we dwell in today. And so that is one of the reasons why these bodies need to partake of physical nourishment from this planet. Because they're made of dust. And actually, it's kind of a strange uh, analogy, but it's actually true. They need dust to, 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 to sustain them. Um, because they're made of dust. And so they need all food that is on the planet comes from dust as well. I mean, plants originate from dust. Um, animals originate from dust. Everything. And so the physical body needs to partake of the dust of the earth in order to be able to be sustained in the earth. But that's just to sustain the physical body. But the life side of it comes from the spirit which God imparts. Let's have a look at another scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47 through to 49. The scripture says, The first man was of the earth made of dust. Now again, that's purely referring to the body of the first man. The second man, talking of our Lord Jesus, is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. We're made of dust. Now God doesn't go and take a mud pile out of the ground and inform each one of our bodies. Not at all. God takes the material that has been passed down generation to generation um, and he uses the sperm and the egg and then he joins them and he then forms man. But it's still dust that he's been, that he's been used, just in a different form, obviously. Um, and the scripture says, As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, speaking of Jesus, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And so very clearly, um, these physical bodies, even though we're born again believers, these physical bodies still come from dust. And they come from Adam. God has made us um, 
The scripture says we born the image of the man of dust. And that's the current house that we dwell in, these, these earthly tents. We're still to bear the image of the heavenly man. We're still to receive our resurrected bodies when our Lord Jesus Christ does return to the earth. And so what God does is he takes the materials that he's already um, made available and he creates and he forms our bodies. So in actual fact, although it's, it is created, um, it's still, the process has really been formed. He forms our, our physical bodies. We can have a look at that in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. The scripture says, our Lord speaking, or God speaking, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And so that's what God does. Is he takes the, the material that is available to him, which is uh, the... Uh, the sperm and the egg, and he then forms our physical bodies in the womb. And God does that, obviously, he, by his spirit. He, he is a creative God, and that's what he does. But that is just the, the, the house that we, would, that we dwell in for our period of time on the earth. That is not the spirit. Um, we're talking, that's the physical body. And another scripture we can look at is in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. The scripture says, and he, God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all of the face of the earth and has determined the pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And so when the scripture says from one blood, God has made every um, nation of men to dwell on the earth. That's exactly the, 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 the fact of the matter. All of our bloodline can be uh, traced back to Adam. Every single living being on the planet, their blood they've inherited from Adam. For God formed that first body, and it's that blood that God has passed down from generation to generation, and that blood has is the, the building block, the DNA that God uses to form these physical bodies that we dwell in. And so we just needed to understand that there is these two parts to, the, to, to uh, mankind. There's the inner man, there's the outward man. The inner man is made up of the, of the spirit and the soul primarily. The outward man is the physical body. The physical body is made of dust. It comes from Adam, the bloodline of Adam. That's the material that God uses. God is still the one who forms the body. He creates the body in the womb, but nevertheless, he uses the material that he first used. He doesn't go out and get some new material. He uses the first material that he used, which is Adam and his blood. But when it comes to the spirit, it's different. Uh, we do not inherit our spirit from Adam. We inherit our physical bodies from Adam. The scripture says, from one blood, God has made every um, nation of men under the sun. But our spirit is different. Um, and let's have a look at a scripture along that line. One, well, a couple of scriptures along that line, which just helps us to understand. For the spirit of, of man comes directly from God. So whereas the body of man, God still forms it. God is still created. He is the creator. He's the only one who can create. No one else can. Um, he creates that body that we dwell in. But the spirit that enters into that body comes directly from God. That does not come from Adam. It is the physical body that we inherit from Adam, but the spirit we get from God. And so it's important for us to understand these spiritual truths because then we can have a clear understanding of just how children fit into the kingdom of God. And so a few scriptures we can read along that line is in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The scripture says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now look at this, verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. I just want to reinforce the truth uh, that God is the only one who has the capacity to create. There is no one else uh, that can create. Um, the angelic beings are very powerful, and, and God has given unto them um, tremendous amounts of power. Uh, the Bible talks about, but none of them have the capacity to create. It is only God who can create. And that's what the scripture says here. All things, all things means all things, were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. So God is the eternal creator. Colossians 1.16 For by Him, all things, there's that all things again, were created. And that means all things is all things. God is, has created all things that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. That includes Satan, that includes his whole realm, that includes every angelic being, that includes the 24 elders that are seated around the throne of God, that includes the four living creatures that are around the throne of God. Every single thing has been created by God, both invisible and visible. And that includes us, obviously. Revelation 4, 9 to 11. The scripture says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. There's that all things again. God is the creator of all things. Uh, and by your will, they exist and were created. And so God creates everything. There's nothing that God has not, uh, that is created that God didn't create. Everything has been created by God, for he is the only one who creates now, the body, God forms. It's a, it's a form of creation because he causes it to grow and he, he forms the, the bones and, the, and all of these intricate parts that make this body function. But the, the spirit God imparts as part of his creation. So he, God imparts the spirit directly into the physical body. Um, Let's have a, a look at a scripture along that lines. We, so we need to understand that this, the spirit comes from God. The body comes from Adam. Ultimately from God, obviously. God took, because God spoke the, the dust of the earth into, into existence. It, it was created out of nothing. God spoke this earth into existence. God then took the material of the earth and he formed the body of the man. And, but then God spoke the spirit into the man so that the body could live. So... That's why Jesus, when he was quoting that uh, passage of Scripture when Satan wanted to tempt him, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so man does need to live by these two sources. Man needs to live by bread because the physical body needs to be nourished by dust. Dust nourishes dust. But the, the spirit of man needs to be nourished by the word of God because the spirit of man is born of the word of God. And so that's the two parts of man, the inward man and the outward man. The outward man needs to be nourished by 
um, physical nourishment, the inward man needs to be nourished by spiritual nourishment because they come from two different sources, ultimately from one source. God spoke this earth into existence, as I've already mentioned. But nevertheless, this, the physical body is a temporary house. Um, so the scripture I want to look at is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Scripture says, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Now look, listen to this. Shall we not much more readily, readily be in subjection to who? To the Father of spirits and live. And so here the scripture talks about the fact that God our Father, because he's, he's comparing our earthly Father to our Heavenly Father, to, to get, get us to understand the relationship that we should be having with our Heavenly Father. But he makes the point very plainly here. He says, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Remember our Lord Jesus said to us, God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is a spirit. And so God is spirit and he is the father of spirits. Now who, is the, who are the spirits that he is the father of? It is us. For in this passage of scripture he's talking about God being our heavenly father. And so he calls our heavenly father the father of spirits. For God imparts the spirit uh, of man into the body of man and so it, the spirit of man is the father of all spirits every single spirit that is born into the earth comes directly from God let's have a look at another scripture Numbers chapter 27 verses 15 to 18 the scripture says then Moses spoke to the Lord saying let the Lord now look at this the God of the spirits of all flesh set a man over the congregation. Um, I'm not going to go into any more of that because that was really just uh, Joshua, uh, uh, Moses, who was interceding to the Lord that they would have, that he would have a replacement um, when he died. Um, and the Lord raised up Joshua to, uh, to carry on the work that Moses had begun. But nevertheless, the point that I wanted to bring across here is that Moses says in verse 16, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, and so all flesh requires a spirit in order for it to, to live. We've really dealt with that in James. He says the body without the spirit is dead. But the, um, Moses re-emphasizes, the Holy Spirit through Moses re-emphasizes the fact that God is the, um, the God of the spirits of all flesh. Telling us that the spirit of all flesh comes from God. He is the God of the spirits of all flesh. He is the Father of spirits. And so God is the one who imparts the spirit uh, of man um, in order for man to be able to live and come into existence. Another scripture we can look at in is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 beginning at verse 5 through to 7. Scripture says, For man goes to his eternal home. Now he's talking about when man dies at the end of his life. Um, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator... Before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Different um, terms used for physical death. Verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. And so very clearly there's the inward man and the outward man. The outward man being made of dust returns to dust. The inward man returns 
to God who gave it. The Spirit will return to God who gave it. Now that doesn't mean that every single person who dies, their spirits go back to God. And that's not what this scripture is saying. It's saying God decides when we leave the planet where we're going to go. And so he decides who's going to go to hell and who's, who's going to go to heaven, based on obviously whether we've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior while we've been on this earth, which is why he says right at the outset, for man goes to his eternal home, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. So he says, guys, get your act together before you leave the planet, because once you leave the planet, God decides where you're going to go. But nevertheless, the, 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 he talks about the body as being the dust will return to the earth as it was, talking about the physical body, because these bodies are made of dust. But the spirit will return to God. And so I, I trust that you understand very clearly that the, the body is formed from the material that God originally used, which is the dust of the earth. The spirit, however, for every single person that comes into the earth, comes directly from God. God doesn't take Adam's spirit and make our spirits out of Adam's spirit. That's not how God operates. God uh, imparts all spirits directly from himself. And that's uh, a very important truth for us to understand if we are under to understand how children actually fit into the kingdom of God. And so with regards to the, the, the spirit that God creates, so let's go back to the body firstly. With regards to the body that God forms in the womb, he uses the same material that he's always used. But that material is contaminated because that material was contaminated when Adam committed sin and he died spiritually. When that happened, sin entered into his physical body, into his bloodstream. And that bloodstream has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. So every single person has flowing through their veins blood that is contaminated with the sin virus. And so there is no physical body that is on this earth that is pure. That is why Jesus, when he was born into the earth, he had to be um, made from a heavenly source. That body that God used to create Jesus' body was not from the dust of the earth, because the dust of the earth is cursed. God cursed the, the, the ground when Adam uh, uh, sinned. And so this whole body is, and this whole earth uh, creation that we dwell in is under a curse. The book of Romans teaches us, us that very plainly. And so these bodies are sinful in nature because of the um, material that God uses to form the body. So although it is God's creative power that forms the body, He uses material that is contaminated because we all are, our bodies are made from Adam's blood. But nevertheless, now when the Spirit is imparted, the Spirit is pure because the Spirit comes directly from God. God doesn't use any contaminated material to create our spirit because our spirit comes from within God himself. So it's not a case of God uses uh, as, as the body, he uses the dust to form the man, man's body. With regards to the spirit, he imparts that directly from himself. And so that spirit is pure, uh, perfect and pure. And the scripture we can have a look at along that line. For God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God has no capacity to speak forth darkness and death. He has no capacity to um, create a spirit that is sinful in nature. The body is sinful in nature because the material God uses is sinful in nature. So although God forms that body, we're using his creative power, 
it is still sinful in nature because God uses sinful material. But with regards to the spirit of the man, the inward man, that comes directly from God. And God is like there is no darkness in him at all. There is no sin in God. And so God, when he imparts the spirit of man, that spirit is perfect. Well, God is perfect. And so God cannot impart an imperfect spirit. He cannot create a spirit that is full of darkness. He cannot create a spirit that has no life in it. Um, when I say no life, I'm not talking about physical life. I'm talking about spiritual life. Because he is life. He cannot impart death. He cannot impart uh, spiritual death. He cannot impart darkness. He has no capacity to do that. Um, and so when the spirit comes from God, it comes in a per perfect form. Exactly as Adam's spirit came from God. Perfect. No, no difference there. Scripture we can look at. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 5, the scripture says, This is the message which we have heard from him, talking about Jesus, and declare to you that God is light, and in him, inside of God, is no darkness at all. And we've seen our, our spirit comes from inside of God, for God breathes our spirit into existence. He speaks our spirit into existence. I, I, existence. It comes outside, comes from within God, our spirits. And that spirit comes from the spirit of light. For God is a spirit. And so when he speaks our spirits into existence, that's what our spirits are. So every single spirit that is born into the earth, that comes into the earth, comes directly from God and is full of light. There's no darkness in that spirit. For there's no darkness in the one who created the spirit, who spoke the spirit into existence. There's no darkness in that being talking of, of God. And so the spirit that comes forth from God comes forth in that capacity. Very important that we understand that truth because we're talking about how children fit into the kingdom of God. Another scripture we can look at, John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. The scripture says, That was the true light, speaking of Jesus, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And so, the first uh, verse there says, That was the true light, which what? Which gives light to every man coming into the world. Every man is every man. And so, there's not a, a case of, well, Satan creates the wicked ones, and God creates the righteous ones. Because there are people that believe that, that Satan has a creative ability, and he can create um, these uh, people of wickedness in the earth, and he is their father, and he creates them. And so they come from him, but all the good um, Christians come from God. But that's not the case at all. Um, God creates all. God is the only creator. Satan has no capacity to create. He's a very powerful angelic being, without a doubt, but he cannot create. He has no capacity to create. All creation comes from God. And so we'll deal with how it is, because there is such a thing. Jesus spoke. He said, you guys are of your father, the devil. Speaking, he was speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the hypocrites at the time. Um, and so there is such a case, and Jesus spoke, you guys are the wicked one, and there are those who are born of my father. Um, and so we do have on the earth today, we have sons of the devil, and we have sons of God walking around on the same planet together. So we need to understand how the sons of the devil came about. If God didn't create them in that 
um, form that they're in now, how did he create them? He created them as sons of light. Because here the scripture says very plainly to us, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Because every man that comes into the world, the spirit comes from God. God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. So every spirit that is born into the earth um, is, comes directly from God. And the scripture says, uh, talking of the true light, talking about Jesus, he is the true light, which gives light. So Jesus gives light. Talking about life, light and life are the same thing, synonymous terms in scripture. Um, who gives light to every man coming into the world. So every man comes into the world when? When they are conceived. When they are, and it's at conception that the, the, the spirit is imparted because the, the, the body would not be able to begin to form if there was no life in that body. And the life is imparted by the spirit. And the spirit is imparted by God. And so it is every man coming into the world receives their light, which is their spirit, directly from the true light, which is Jesus. For God speaks and creates through Jesus. That's how God works. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit of one. But God is the creator. He creates through Jesus by the Spirit of God. And so the three of them working together uh, create everything. And so the Spirit of man comes directly from God through Jesus, who is true light, and he gives light to every man coming into the world. So it's not talking about everyone who's born again, it's talking about every man coming into the world. Every man is again every man. There's none left out because the, the Spirit comes directly from God. Let's have a look at another scripture which just again helps us to understand the truth more clearly. Uh, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Scripture says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and look at this, and the life was the light of men. Remember I said to you, life and light are synonymous terms in scripture. And so the life was the light of men. And we just saw that Jesus gives light to every man coming into the world. And so every man coming into the world receives their light, their life, directly from God. God speaks us into existence. That's how we come into the earth, and that's how we are created as eternal beings. Of course, whatever God creates spiritually remains created for the rest of eternity. It never, that the spirit never, uh, it does die, uh, but it never ceases to exist. The spiritual death is just a different state, but we're not going to get into that today. But nevertheless, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, all men. And so every man's spirit comes directly from God, in whom there is no shadow of turning. He uh, is the father of lights. Uh, he has no darkness in him at all. Um, another scripture just to show us how, because we, we're wanting to get this truth very plainly across today, that the spirit comes from God. The spirit is perfect and the spirit is full of life. Every single spirit. And every single spirit comes from God. Another scripture, James chapter 1 verse 17. The scripture says, Every, every, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. There's that Father of lights again. In the book of Hebrews, he, he tells us, should we not be subject to the Father of lights? We are the lights that God is the Father of. Uh, Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so again, God has no capacity to create darkness 
I'm talking about spiritual darkness. Now, obviously, God created the light and created the darkness, but then we're talking about um, other aspects of creation. Now, we're not dealing with, we're dealing with the spirit of man. With regards to the spirit of man, God does not have the capacity to create a spiritually dead person or a, a, a spirit that is in darkness. God doesn't have that capacity. Later on in their life, their spirits do become darkness, but we're not touching on that today. But I'm talking about at creation, when every single man comes into the earth, they come in from God, spiritually alive, full of light. Um, and so it is the spirit of man that has the capacity to, to grow and develop. And that's the, one of the sad things that we have in, uh, in the church today, is that very few churches recognize the truth well, um, I suppose that's not true. No, no I, don't, I wouldn't like to put a percentage on it. But uh, there's a lot of churches that just don't buy into the truth that the man is a spirit being, that he has a soul and he lives inside this physical body. They don't recognize the inward man and the outward man. They kind of do, but, you know, don't talk to me about the split because I'm one whole person. But that's not true because your, your body is not who you are. The body is just the tent you dwell in. Um, but nevertheless... So, because the spiritual truth of man being a spirit being, primarily a spirit being, is ignored in the church by and large, there's not a lot of emphasis on growing our spirits. Remember again, let's go back to our Lord when he uh, spoke to, to Satan, when Satan was trying to tempt him. And God and our Lord said, now obviously our Lord used Old Testament scripture when he quoted, but the, the, he was putting across the spiritual truth to us. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And so our Lord was differentiating the two and tried to, well not trying to, but he was teaching his church that we need, to, we have these two parts to us, our, our makeup. And we need to be, as we nourish our physical bodies, so we do need to nourish our spiritual bodies. And our spirits need to grow and have a capacity to grow. And that's, as I say, that's one of the, the spiritual truths that is not taught very strongly in the church. And it is, is sad because of that, because the spirit is almost neglected within the church, because they just deal with everything and put it all in one same basket. And yet the spirit is completely different and needs to be treated differently. But they don't do that. And we can pick that up in two passages of scripture, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter one, verse 80. Uh, the scripture says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit. Speaking about John the Baptist, he became strong in spirit. As a child, he grew and became strong in spirit. Here's another one, Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 40. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. Now that's talk, talking about Lord Jesus. So again, both of those individuals grew strong in spirit from childhood. Now, the scripture is silent on John the Baptist, but we do know our Lord Jesus Christ. He continued to grow strong in spirit. Um, and we need to grow strong in spirit. And we need to feed our spirits. Uh, I think it's 1 Peter 2, 2. It says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Talking about our spirits. For it is our spirits that grow on the word, word of God. As our Lord said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I trust now you've understood that uh, man is made up of two primary parts, the inward man, the outward man. The outward man is the, the physical dust that God forms, these physical bodies we dwell in, and that body is inherited from Adam. The inward man comes directly from God. God speaks our spirits into existence. And that inward man is perfect in God's 
at, at the time God creates it, uh, because God is the one who creates the Spirit directly from Himself. And so, and the Spirit can grow, and the Spirit does need to grow, but it's, the Spirit is perfect when it's born into the earth. And so, that's how our creation basically takes place when we get born into the earth. Body comes from Adam, um, God created, but it still comes from Adam, the material comes from Adam, spirit comes from God. Perfect. So now we want to just have a look at how God actually views children, because we, we, we've looked at creation from conception, so obviously conception, the, the, the body grows in the womb and eventually gets to the nine months and then birth takes place and the, the person becomes alive physically outside of the womb. Um, they were alive physically inside of the womb, they would just be nourished differently and uh, not breathing, but now we come out of the womb, now that sign of growth takes place. But nevertheless, it's still the same person, just now in a different environment, obviously. So what does God say about these little children that are born into the earth? Because it's important for us to understand what God, how God views little children, if we're going to understand how we should be dealing with them and interacting with them as well. And the scripture we can look at is uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 to 6. Uh, our Lord gives us some quite a, a bit of uh, insight through this passage of scripture with regards to children, just how God actually views them. He says, and the scripture says, Then Jesus called a little child to him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. And so here our Lord gives us a fair amount of insight um, as to what he, how he views little children. And obviously Jesus is reflecting God's view, because he, although he walked as the Son of Man, nevertheless he was the Son of God at the same time. And so the, the, the context of this passage of Scripture is that the disciples had been you know, kind of arguing amongst themselves who was going to be the greatest of them all. So our Lord was now correcting their argument. And so the correction that he brings in is in verse 4. He says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So that's the answer that he was wanting to get across to them. Uh, because they'd been arguing, you know, John, Peter, all of the guys were saying, I'm going to be greater than you, um, which was not a very spiritual argument. But nevertheless, so our Lord now deals with the issue. And he, he deals with it in verse 4, when he says, Therefore, who, whoever humbles himself as this little, little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So that's answering that point. But in order to, for him to get there, he goes through his opening. He brings a little child and he sets the little child in the midst of them. So the focus is now on the little child. Now the Lord wants that to happen. He wants to illustrate to them the kingdom of God with this little child that is, is, is in front of him. And so let's go back to the scripture. It says, Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, talking to his disciples now, unless you are converted 
and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. So our Lord, before he deals with the humility side of things and who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, he said you first got to get into the kingdom. Before you can become great in the kingdom, you first have to get into the kingdom. So he deals with how to get into the kingdom first, because that's the, the, the most important thing, that people come into the kingdom of God. Then once we're in, now we get to sort out who's going to be great and who's not. But he deals with how to get in. And so the way he deals with that, he's, and he talks about the little child. He's focused everybody on this little child. He says, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you're not going to get into the kingdom of God. So what does he mean by that? Well, he means simply, when, he's, when, when are we converted? We are converted when we are born again. And that's how Christians become converted. We are, the old man dies and the new, new man is born again. And we are converted from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So to get hung up on how we got into the kingdom of darkness, because we just said we all came from the kingdom of light when God formed us. But something takes place during our lifetime. But in order for men to be, uh, come into the kingdom of God, they must be born again. Jesus said, you can't, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God or see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying the same thing here. He says, unless you are converted, born again, and become what? As little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is our Lord saying here? He's saying little children are already there. Unless you are born again, converted, and become as little children. So he's not saying we have to now become little children in our thinking in order to enter the kingdom of God. Not at all. He's saying we need to be converted in order to enter the kingdom of God. We, we don't get into the kingdom of God by being humble. We get into the kingdom of God by being born again. And so that's what our Lord is saying. Unless you are converted and become as little children already are, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is our Lord saying? He's saying all little children are already there. They're in the kingdom of God. Because remember, their spirits came directly from God. As children, they remain in the kingdom of God. They never leave the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying, guys, unless you become as they are, and how do you become as they are, Lord? You need to convert. How do we get converted? You need to be born again. So our spirits are then made alive to God when we're born again. Their spirits are already alive to God. Their spirits haven't yet died. So because their spirit came from God. And so when we are born again, our spirits come from God. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Unless you're born again, unless you're converted, and your spirits are made alive, as children already are, you're not going to get into the kingdom. So that's what our Lord is answering, uh, making the statement first. He says, you guys first need to get in. And this is how you do it. You have to become like children. And because children are already spiritually alive to God, you need to convert so you can also become spiritually alive to God. And so our Lord is saying, all children are spiritually alive to God. And we need to become like they are in order to get into the kingdom. Because they are already in the kingdom. They've never left the kingdom. From the time that God created them, they remain in the kingdom until a certain age. We'll get to that in this series of teachings as we go through it. Verse 5. So then he teaches them how to be great in the kingdom. They have to uh, be, become humble as a little child. Verse 5 he says, Whoever then receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But verse 6 I want to uh, put across. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him 
if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. And so here's a couple of points that our Lord also brings out with regards to this passage of Scripture. The one is, is that he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So you hear, you hear people say, you know, you don't need to teach children to, to be naughty. They're just naturally naughty. Well, that's not true because the Spirit comes directly from God. If it was a case that they were just naturally naughty, um, then Jesus would be a bit unjust by saying, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be have a millstone hung around his neck. And so Jesus is saying, we as adults can cause little ones to commit sin. Um, so if it is a case of they are just sinful in nature, you know, God, there's nothing I'm, I'm doing. They're just doing what comes naturally to them. They've been sinful in nature. The Lord says, no, that's not the case at all. If you cause one of the little ones to sin, it's better for you if a, a millstone were hung around your neck and you were drowned in the midst of the sea. So our Lord is saying, no, that's not the case at all. They, their spirits are spiritually alive unto God. And so their spirits can be and should be nurtured so that they can grow strong in spirit. Even as our Lord grew strong in spirit and then John the Baptist grew strong in spirit. And that's why I say the church has kind of neglected the spiritual growth of children even. Um, and obviously of, of newborn converts. And so Jesus is saying it's not natural for children to be naughty. Now, yes, there is that as other side of it, because the bodies that they've inherited come from Adam. Their bodies are sinful in nature. And I don't want to get into that depth discussion today. Nevertheless, our Lord is saying that it's actually not natural for their spirits to commit sin. They have to be taught to commit sin. And humans, uh, adults, teach children how to commit sin. Why do we do that? Well, they watch us and they, they, they mimic us and they, they do what we tell them. That's what another thing our Lord brings out here in verse 6. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who what? Who believe in me. And so all children have a natural capacity to believe in God. That's how God has created them. Their spirits have a natural capacity to believe in God. Jesus said it. He said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. Now, he's not talking about a select few. He wasn't talking about only Jewish little children. He was talking about all little children. He just said, he called a little child him. Now, obviously, it was a Jewish child because they were in Judea, Jerusalem. No, they were, well, they were in, in Israel at the time. But nevertheless, he's talking about all children. And he says all children have a natural capacity to believe in God. Why is that? Because God has given imparted the Spirit to them. And so it's very important that we realize that truth because how we train up little ones impacts on their belief in God. Um, because all children believe what their parents say. And I'm talking right from little age. So you don't get a, a, a one-year-old, well, I don't know when children really start, uh, you know, but whatever age they start to acknowledge dad, mom, and, you know, they trust their parents to tell them. And whatever they tell them, they don't question it. They don't say, well, what you just said to me sounds kind of weird. I'm going to go speak to somebody else about the issue. Whatever they get taught, they believe. Because that's their natural capacity, is to believe. And so when parents and other adults around them teach children things that are not true, it's if they believe that. Because that's their natural capacity. And so... a when a, you, you, a child gets taught a fairy tale, they believe that fairy tale. But there comes a time when they find out the fairy tale is not true. 
And so, what has happened? Their belief system, their, their faith has been destroyed in that area. Now, children that are brought up believing in Jesus and also believing in Father Christmas, when Father Christmas proves to be untrue, the child's faith in Jesus starts to take a hit as well. So it's so important for us to be very careful what we teach children because God has created them to believe what they get taught. Very important for uh, adults to recognize them, uh, recognize that truth. Another uh, point we just want to get across how God views children. He views them, they're His. And if you teach them to sin, there's an account that's going to be held. And um, all of them believe in, in our Lord Jesus uh, and God the Father. Now, they don't believe in Jesus because if they've been brought up in a Hindu environment, they've never heard of Jesus. But nevertheless, they have capacity to believe in God because that's who they are. They're from God. And so uh, it's so sad that little children get taught the wrong thing. So what else does God say about children? In Mark chapter 10, verse 13, 14, our Lord Jesus is reflecting God's view about children. Uh, in that previous passage and this one, Scripture says, Then they brought little children to him, talking about Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is not saying that of such is the kingdom of God. If you guys could just be like children, then you are in the kingdom. He's saying these guys are from the kingdom of God. And he, he got angry with them. The disciples found out Jesus, when he was on the earth, he got angry a couple of times. This was one of those occasions. The Bible says he was greatly displeased. I can guarantee you the disciples never overstepped in this mark again. Uh, anybody want to bring children? Jesus is quite willing, guys, to take the child to the, to the Lord. He'll let him lay hands. And because Jesus said, of such is the kingdom of God. Translated means these are in the kingdom of God. So you don't turn them away from me. I'm the creator. I'm the God. Bring them to me. I will bless them. And so all children are of the kingdom of God, our Lord Jesus Christ stated. And that's all children again. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, our Lord speaking about children again. He says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Why, Lord? For I say to you that in heaven, the angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And so every single child born into the earth, doesn't matter where they are born into the earth, what race, what religion, every single one of them have been given an, an angel. God has assigned an angel to look after that child. And that angel never actually leaves the person until they leave the planet. That angel is assigned to that person from conception all the way through until they leave the planet. Um, and so again, our Lord is saying, do not despise one of these little ones. So he's not saying there's a select few that have their own angels, and you need to work out which ones have and which ones don't. Not at all. Every child born into the earth, God uh, assigns an angel to that child to watch over that child and care for them from conception till the time that they um, leave the planet. And God has no, is no respect of persons on these issues because they all children belong to him. And so each one gets an angel assigned to them. Another scripture, we just wanted to, to convey God's view about children um, in the earth. And um, is in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 34 to 40. Um, 
The scripture says, And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And to him and his children I am given the land of which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord also was angry with me for your sake, saying, Even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Verse 39. This is what I want to get across here. God speaking now. He says, Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. And I will give to them, give it to them, and they shall possess it. And so here our Lord, I don't want to get into the whole passage. God is just... Uh, Moses is just relating to the children of Israel about the fact that uh, they've been rebellious. But the point that I wanted to really highlight from this passage is what God said in verse 39. He says, Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, shall go in there. So God views all little children to have no knowledge of good and evil. And so God is not unjust. So all children um, in the earth God does not hold them accountable for sin. Because in His eyes, they have no knowledge of good and evil. And so God does not punish children for sin. Um, and so all children belong to Him. And so a child that dies from, the age of, from conception until the age of 13, we'll get into the, the teaching further along down the line, they belong to God. Any child that dies in that time period, they go straight to heaven. Because they have no knowledge of good and, good and evil. And so because they have no knowledge of good and evil, they cannot commit any sin in God's eyes. Now they do sin, we understand that, but God doesn't hold them accountable for sin because he says they have no knowledge of good and evil. And so every child that dies up to the age of 13 goes straight to, to heaven to be with the Lord. Um, so it's very important. But again, I'm just trying to put across to us in today's teaching um, what God's view is about children. So we can understand very clearly that every child born into the earth comes directly from God, belongs to God, remains in the kingdom of God until the age of 13. And then they have to make their own decision. And they can make a decision for Jesus, obviously, before that time. But if they don't, then uh, spiritual death kicks in. Another scripture we can look at, Psalm 106, 37 and 38. Scripture says, Then they, now God speaking again, they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed, what, innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And so God deems all children to have innocent blood. Have, they have no knowledge of good and evil. If God says they have no knowledge of good and evil, I don't care if you say, but a 12-year-old should have. You can't argue with God. God says, no, they don't. And he's the one who judges, and he's the one who casts into hell or takes into heaven. And he takes all children into heaven who die as children because they're his. And he deems them to be innocent. They have innocent blood, he said. And so that is God's view about children. That's where all of all children come from. They come directly from God. They remain with God until such a time of their 13th birthday. And God views them to be innocent and views them to have no knowledge of good and evil. He assigns an angel to each one of them. Um, he holds every single adult accountable who teaches them to sin. And they will have to give an account on their day of judgment for teaching his children to sin. No matter what happens after their uh, later in life, I'm talking about as children. And 
every one of them have a capacity to believe in him. And so it's so important for adults to not distort a child's faith in God by trying to teach them stuff that they shouldn't be believing in because that will erode their faith in God and God will hold that adults accountable for that as well. But we're going to end the teaching on that particular point today and uh, in the next teaching we want to go on about why it is that we actually do need to be born again because obviously something does take place from the time we come into the, kin uh, into the earth um, and what we need to be born again. We're going to end the teaching on that point today. Amen.